Malaysia, Philippines, where you are going to, in addition to the, the research and the deep digging of the journalism that we had to do for all of our cases, because we were investigating missing persons, you also have to layer in the culture and the uniqueness of that region, even folklore and legends, like that played a part in what we were doing. So you have to be open to all of it. And then the people that you're with, that you're meeting along the way, that are gonna help move your story along, you've gotta find common ground with them and be able to converse with them. For TV, obviously that makes better TV, but also just for investigative purposes, you want to have a rapport with someone. It's going to be a really neat behind the scenes. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. Because something always magical happens. Wait, what? Did you just make that up? Hey, it's Meredith For Real, the curious introvert. Listen each week as I talk with someone new. The topics are as ADD as I am, but they'll inspire you to stay curious and grow. Big thanks to our location sponsor, the UWF Historical Trust. Hey, Curiositors, it's me, Meredith. I wanted to say thank you so much for listening right now. I know a lot of you are carrying a super heavy mental load with all the back-to-school decisions, and I really appreciate you taking time to listen. And because of that, I really would love to connect with you. Um, That's the weird thing about podcasting is I can see that you're listening, but I can't see you, and I would love for you to be seen. So find me uh, on social media. It's Meredith for real on all the things and reach out. Let me know you're listening and where you're listening from. My goal is to give you a uh, bright, meaningful entertainment. And uh, I think you'll feel that with my next guest, even though we just met Kinga is definitely a sister from a different mister. If you know me, you know, um, We'll talk about the keys to connecting with people that are different than you, examples of excessive kindness, and how her journalism and anthropology background work together to investigate global unsolved mysteries in her travel channel show, Lost in the Wild. So if you want to mind travel or you just need a little evidence that there are still good people in the world, then this episode is definitely for you. Sugar and spice and all that's nice. Hmm, how about adventure and grit and a little spit? (laughs) My next guest has led the way in female adventure journalism being inducted into the Explorers Club. Huge freaking deal, you guys. Google that. Uh, She's been on camera for many programs, but most recently traveled channels lost in the wild. Through her travels, she has learned the art of connecting with others across cultures languages, religions, and oceans, which she is also hugely enthusiastic about. Today, she's going to share about the amazing humans she's met traveling and her thoughts on creating those ditto moments, which we will explain. Research junkie, my sister in curiosity, gets a Scottish accent when she's drunk, Kinga Phillips! (laughs) That's probably the best intro I've ever had, by the way, ever. My gift to you, my friend. I really hope to hear this Scottish accent one day. Me too. I hope someone records it because I'm going to guess it's not very good. It actually probably doesn't even sound Scottish, to be honest. But in my head, it's phenomenal. I'm Sean Connery, like in in his peak. (laughs) Does it ever happen sober? No. No, it doesn't. (laughs) I thought about that for a while and I was like, no, it never really has. No. Oh, that's so funny. So your dad um, was a geologist, and you describe your mother as an adventurer. I really imagine them to be this interesting blend together. And 
because it's like the scientific method mixed with wild-eyed enthusiasm. Um, how close is my imagination to the real thing? That's pretty accurate. Now throw in the Griswolds and you'll have like the portrayal of my family and my childhood, including like the big blue van that we would always road trip with. And it, you know, comical disaster would always ensue, including taking photos with roadkill, which was my dad's passion as a scientist to document everything with me standing by like dead coyotes trying to smile. Um, yes. And my mom is a pharmacist, but also just natural environmental knows the Latin name for every plant. Like they are, they're true. We're, we're like some kind of a Wes Anderson movie, honestly. That's beautiful. I feel like I've discovered my people. <laughs> that is so me. Like people, I, I, I told you that when I was a kid, uh, when people would come over to our house, to see my mom, I would grab their hand and take them to my room where I showed them my seashell rock and uh, pictures of fish collection. And I would go just painstakingly one by one. I just realized just now when you said about the plants that uh, oopsies, I didn't grow out of that because when people come over now, I'm like, do you want to see my plants? Plant tour. That's the thing, right? Come on, follow me before they can even answer. And I'm like telling them the scientific names of my plants. So basically I need like rehab or something. I think you should make that an Airbnb experience. You know how they offer those now? You could do plant tours and give, give Latin names to all your plants. I would sign up for that. See, I'm the nerd that would be like, what is this? This is amazing. This girl's going to give me a tour of the plants and give me Latin names. I'm in. <laughs> me too. Well, I'm glad that you share my enthusiasm in that. So back to your parents and like lessons learned. My dad taught me to measure twice and cut once you had you saw I had to think about that for a minute too so obviously that lesson <clears throat> I have to revisit it and my mom taught me when things go wrong just throw your hands up and go isn't this exciting it's an adventure <laughs> um, are there some lessons from your parents that have uh, crossed over to you and to your life that you've created now Oh, absolutely. First of all, I, I want to say that I really need to listen to your dad's advice, especially when it comes to cutting jean shorts, because I do not measure twice and cut once. I'm like, this looks right. And then I've got like one leg to here. The other one, one is like a Daisy Duke. The other one is like a full pant. It's, it's, so I need to take your dad's advice. Well, um, Kinga, all you have to do is add a hashtag to that and then people will think that it's a trend and you'll be leading the way in the fashion industry. Yeah. I become, I become an unintentional billionaire on like my really badly cut jean shorts because they're the new thing and everyone's into it and all the celebrities are wearing it. Yes. Let's, let's go with that. Let's hope for that. Um, lessons that my parents have taught me. I would say that my mom, very similar lesson to your mom. My parents were, went through the second world war in Poland, saw things that no one should ever have to see, lived through things that no one should ever have to live through. And my mom is the funniest, silliest, like kookiest in the best way possible person ever because her life philosophy is you can truly get through anything with a sense of humor and you have to find the silver lining and the best thing and everything in life. And that goes from war to COVID-19, all of it. And they, they maintain that. My dad 
was the person who taught me how to adventure and camp and the epitome of the always curious scientist who needed to photograph everything from stratifications in rock formations, which now I find really charming. As a child, I was super embarrassed. He would cut cross sections in the sand and look at the different layers and be so fascinated. And I'm like trying to lay out. I'm like, dad, there's like boys over there. And he's like, look at the stratification in the sand. King is standing this hole so I can show everyone how it looks. So he, he definitely was the epitome of the always curious and go forth and explore nature and culture and people and things and plants and all of it. Did it take a, a long time to figure out that was going to be incorporated into your career? Or did you know right out of the gate that those life lessons were going to go with you into adulthood in a way that you got paid? That's that's a great question. And the answer is, I think one day you wake up and you realize that your parents were like the coolest people ever. And all along you were like, this is so embarrassing. I don't want to be anything like you. And when I was a kid, I wrote a letter to National Geographic saying, I want to work for you guys. And they wrote me back and they were like, stay in school, kid. And then I actually ended up working for them and I did a show for them and we got to tell that story repeatedly. But when I look back, my life was completely formed by my parents in this like Griswold adventurous travel lifestyle. But I think only in in the last 10 years have I gone, oh, my parents did that. I totally credit them with that and planting that seed. Yeah, hindsight is always twenty twenty when it comes to especially our parents and our careers and Yeah, that's funny. I also wanted to work for National Geographic. It was the second grade and there was a stack. I lived in uh, Plattsmouth, Nebraska, very far from any water. And uh, there was a stack of National Geographic magazines and I would obsess because we had designated reading time and there was photos in there. And I was like, I want to be a photographer for Nat Geo. And um, I'm not really sure what happened. I think sometimes we grow up and we have you know, worries and anxieties and you've become self-conscious and your, your little dreams, they just sort of get buried under there. You can always dig them back out. Oh girl, we be digging, we be digging. (laughs) So with your travel, you've been like a ton of places. What are some places that completely surprised you? They weren't at all what you expected. Wow. um, I would say every place, you know, there rarely is there a place that you go to and it matches what you have pictured in your head. For me, Africa has always been that. Ethiopia, traveling to Ethiopia for a show back in the day, I think we were there in 2011. And, you know, Ethiopia is what you read about in National Geographic and what you see on the news. And, the reality of a place is usually vastly different because you get the the surface overview. You usually get the highlights and the low lights of a place when you're reading about it or you hear about it on the news. When you get there, you get to dig into the details, everything from the beautiful dress that people wear to the kindness of strangers, to the food, to the archaeology those details rarely get told in in the highlights of media. And when you go to those places, that's what you see. You you see the people for what they are on a daily basis, not on a media blast highlight basis. And uh, all these places are so special. India was the same way. Zimbabwe was was the same way. Even Fiji was the same way to me. You know, you meet these incredible people, you sit with them and you drink kava and you have a fully different experience than one you could ever have uh, reading about it on online. 
So how did you connect with people in every country? Did you have like, um, was it always over a meal or um, how did you break that barrier, whether it was language or otherwise, to really find out what treasure was within them? Because I feel like that's what, when we travel, the, the treasure that we find are the people that we meet and the stories that they have. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And I think you know, obviously over a meal is a great way to sit and talk with people. And it's a bit of an icebreaker, especially if it's, if it's cultural food that you can discuss. But I always think a sense of humor is a great way to connect with people and to be able to laugh with them on a small scale or a large scale and a silly little incident, just anything that, that allows you to connect with that person in an organic way. And there's always something, you know, whether you go to someone's house and you see a piece of art that they have, or I'm a, I'm a foodie. So if there is food to be shared, I want to talk about it. I want to know about it. I want to hear about how you made it, your recipe. Is it your grandma's recipe? Tell me about it. I want to meet your grandma. Um, but that's to me, the epitome of travel and meeting these individuals who will climb a coconut tree and bring you a coconut and then tell you about all the health benefits of a coconut, which happened to us in the Caribbean while we were filming. And that turned out to be the, the highlight of that piece. This gentleman named Cornelius Douglas, still remember him, climbed up, brought me a coconut. Those, those magical moments with people where you get to catch them doing what they do on a daily basis and have a conversation with them about it or learn something that, that is foreign to you. Meeting a little gentleman in Vietnam and his water buffalo and he was like, would you like to pet the buffalo? Next thing you know, my sister and I are sitting on the buffalo taking photos. The buffalo's like, yeah, sure, no problem. And the guy's like, here, wear this hat. You'll look authentic as he's plowing a field. You know, you, th- those are the people that you meet that you never forget. I agree. And don't you, when I come back from travels or even just not even going in other countries, but just, I feel like I have FOMO, like in a, it's probably a clinical diagnosis. I, my, my husband tells me this anyway. Um, but when I meet someone, I'm like, oh, I must know you. I must know what you're about. If you speak a different language, I must know this language. Hold on. Let me grab Google. Like, uh, but then after I meet them and I, I, discover all the stuff that you're talking about, these treasures of their lives and their stories and the quirkinesses of their personalities and their grandma's personalities, then I want to, I just want to, I want everyone to experience that. I want them to know that. I want them to have the skills to see what I see and to experience that. It's like a vibration head to toe that you feel when you meet someone and you feel like you're connected, even if you don't speak the same language? Well, I think what you're describing, and you and I have talked about this before, is touching on people's passions. Yeah. And there is a word in our language, weird, which has always made me giggle a little bit because weird technically has a bit of a negative connotation, right? Like, oh, that person's so weird. Like you feel like high school kids would say that like, oh, she's really weird. And then that weird person turns out to be like the coolest, most successful musician or artist ever while everyone else speaks in high school. So in my mind, weird is a word that describes something that is unusual, that is worthy of curiosity. And the coolest and the most interesting people that I've met in all my travels, and I bet you would agree with this, are the people that when you start to dig and they carry their heart and their passions on their sleeve and they start to tell you about them, you were like, wow, wow. 
You know, I, I think I told you about the woman that I met on the National Geographic show who gifted me a glass eyeball, which I actually brought because I wanted to show <gasps> it to you. What? I figured you would you would appreciate this. So the story that I told you before was yeah. that I was working on the show and at the end of the episode, because we always had experts with us to authenticate the things that people would bring in, this woman gave me this glass eyeball. I'll send you like a, a tight shot of it too, because I want you to see the detail in it. Yeah. And told me the story about the turn of the century when there were two families that used to make these glass eyeballs because people lose eyes all the time. Gonna shoot your eye out, kid. And these were just these, this is probably really creepy if I do this, but they're replicas. And you would have never discovered that had you not dug in, which leads, so you said weird is a word. Another word is ditto, which I feel like, I don't know. I like that word, but I'll just tell the listeners what I, I used to say, like when you're speaking to someone and you're meeting them for the first time, the goal is to find the me too. They say, oh, I like dogs. Oh, me too. And you say, oh, I love canned tuna, which I don't, but let's just pretend me too. And and you have that rapport. And so it creates, like it breaks down walls of whatever they judge you as and, and vice versa. Um, but obviously since the Me Too movement, um, those words had to, they had a more noble purpose and we have to let them go. So we're going to use the word ditto. <laughs> but finding that ditto moment when you talk to someone, I feel like it's the beginning of that connection of breaking down what they think that you might be and vice versa. I totally agree. And when people, I think, realize that you are open to hearing about their passions, that that breaks down a wall. I, when I was telling you about the glass eyeball lady, the best compliment that she could have ever given me is after working on this episode with her, she came up to me and she said, hey, having gotten to know you, I feel like you would appreciate this. And I want to gift this to you because I'm really passionate about these glass eyeballs. I've been collecting them. And having gotten to know you, I feel like you're just weird enough to appreciate this. And I was like, I am weird. Thank you so <laughs> for seeing my weirdness and appreciating it. I love the glass eyeball. So that that was me. And like, those are the types of people that I always want to come to me. I want people to come and and tell me about the, the bunny museum that they run. There's actually a woman who runs a bunny museum. Oh, wow. Or, you know, have a collection of fossilized mammoth teeth or whatever it is. Like, I, I want to know that because I will be excited about it. Agreed. I, I'm with you a thousand percent. And I'm intrigued with your approach because the anthropological approach I completely identify with. The journalism approach, I don't know much about. And so the work that you do, especially in the Lost in the Wild show that you're doing right now, it's like, for those who haven't watched it, it's like a true crime travel, true crime travel. Would yeah. that, is that about right? Yeah, like a true crime podcast come to life with boots on the ground in exotic locations. Boom. There you go. Spoken like a professional. That's exactly right. So how does what's the interplay between the part of you that's anthropological and that's like, be my friend, show me your glass eyeball, and the part that's like, tell me the truth, where's the dead body? Like, how does that interplay work in your work? I think it works beautifully. So my background is I have a degree in broadcast journalism and I also minored in anthropology. So those two were always big, big highlights of mine. And to me, they work together perfectly because if you're doing hard investigative journalism, which, which I've done a good bit of in my career, 
you're not going to get very far coming in being like, tell me where the dead body is. Like that, that is what you see on TV and it rarely works. Having conversations with people and, and I'm also, I'm not a police officer. Like I'm rarely first on scene, actually never first on scene to ask where the dead body is. I hope I never am. So the kind of digging that we do for shows like uh, Lost in the Wild or for Legend Quest or Nat Geo stuff, we're really, it's more of a conversation with people. And that's where the anthropology comes into it. And that's where the glass eyeballs come into play. Because the more you can relate to people and the more that you can meet them halfway and where they actually think that you're interested in who they are in their culture, in the, in their story, you're going to get a lot more information. So from lost in the wild, we went all over the world. We were in Zimbabwe, Galapagos. We were in Panama in Brazil. We were in India. We were in so many different Malaysia, Philippines, where you are going to, in addition to the the research and the deep digging of the journalism that we had to do for all of our cases, because we were investigating missing persons, you also have to layer in the culture and the uniqueness of that region, even folklore and legends, like that played a part in what we were doing. So you have to be open to all of it. And then the people that you're with, that you're meeting along the way, that are going to help move your story along, you've got to find common ground with them and be able to converse with them. For TV, obviously that makes better TV, but also just for investigative purposes, you want to have a rapport with someone. Hey everyone, just a quick interruption to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. The UWF Historical Trust. We shoot the show in the Museum of Commerce and the T.T. Wentworth Museum. And not only is this an amazing step back into the 18 and 1900s, but it's an event space too. How cool is that? You can see everything at historicpensacola.org. If you want to tour one of the 12 museums, and yes, Pensacola has 12 museums, and you get your tickets in person, show the ticket agent one of my emails and you'll get $2 off an adult ticket. You can get emails by texting REAL to 66866. So I don't have kids, but I also want to tell you about It's Your Magazine. They're a national family-centered publishing company with free parent magazines. They have parenting advice, events, and inspiration. I'm actually in a networking group with the publisher, and this guy is all about family. You can view a free magazine in cities in Texas, Oregon, Washington, and Florida by checking them out at itsyourmagazine.com. And insect. So I've always felt iffy about pesticides. Then the mosquitoes got so bad, I would get covered in them from walking from my house to the car. I called Insect, and to say I've been impressed is an understatement. When the treatment wasn't quite doing it, the owner actually came to my house. He found the breeding sites, identified the species of mosquito, and adjusted my treatment to that species. That's when I found out he's also a beekeeper, and pollinator issues are always top of mind. So if you're in the Florida Panhandle or Gulf Coast of Alabama, give them a call, ensec.net. And Dr. Rob Thompson in Pensacola, Florida. There are a million chiropractors in this town, but Dr. Rob is different. He doesn't just give you a crack pop and a slap on the ass. I mean, that would actually be really inappropriate. Uh, His pledge is to provide fast, efficient pain relief with no drawn out treatment plans or surprise bills. Since COVID, we all got 99 problems. Don't let pain be one of them. Dr. Rob, chiropractic.com. Now back to the show. That makes total sense because the person that could give you the best tip, the best clue might not be the one that you, that is 
throwing themselves at you. And so you, you need to have that eye for who here maybe wants to talk to me, but I need to draw them in, draw them in and draw out the information that I need in a way that's meaningful, culturally, culturally respectful, that sort of thing. That's exactly right. And a lot of people preferred to speak to us because we were step two in a three-part investigation, basically. So first would be the, the police, the official investigators. Then we would come in. We're not, we're not police officers. We're not affiliated with any kind of authority. And then, so we would come in, we would have conversations with people. We would oftentimes get more information than the authorities were able to get for exactly the reason that you said. We were more relatable. We weren't like coming in there, you know, flipping badges and, and saying, tell us where the body is. Is we were having conversations with people. And then the third step in Lost in the Wild was we were kind of like unsolved mysteries that we would then put it out to the audience and hope that someone comes in with, with information that we weren't able to get. Have they yet? We've gotten information on some of our cases. I think as a show, the show was aired in the US and the UK and Australia. I think that as the show starts to air internationally in some of the locations where the cases took place, that's where we'll get more information. But there for off the Panama case and the Zimbabwe case, I have gotten emails from people with like little tidbits of information. Some some more valid than others. I got one where um, the devil apparently told him the truth. I was like, and I will not be responding to you. <laughs> so you get some of those, but you also get some l- very legit uh, tidbits that you can pass on to the authorities then. I love that. I love that because it's so unexpected. And that's part of the treasure part because treasure is something you find and it kind of surprises you even though you're looking for it. And that's how I feel about um, – <laughs> relationships in general but like when you talk to people it it comes out and I was hoping that you could share a story that maybe illustrates that by way of unexpected kindness or you know uh you know renew our hope in humanity Kinga like can you think of a time that you were traveling or maybe even not traveling but something where you just unexpectedly were the recipient of great kindness by someone who didn't really even have to give it. Absolutely. You know where we found some of the kindest people to be? And there are amazing people all over the world. But when my sister and one of my best friends and I went to Cambodia, the people there were so nice that we kept thinking we were being taken advantage of because we're like, no one's that nice. Like, no one's really this nice. What is what is your motive? No, they were in fact actually that nice. And a case in point, we would, I don't like to pre-book things when we travel because I like to go where the wind takes me. And if something's exciting, you want to stay longer. If, you know, if it's not, you want to leave early. So I don't pre-book hotels. So we would basically jump and every night we would book our hotel. And we got to Siem Reap where Angkor Wat is, which is spectacular, but it's very touristy and oftentimes busy, especially during the time of year that we were there. And we came into this little hotel and we, we tried to book a room for the night. And the woman at the front desk said, well, we don't have any rooms, but if you leave me your information, when are you going to come back? I'll try to source something for you. And we were like, eh, okay, because we were going to see um, Angkor Wat. So we left her our information and just kind of almost didn't come back because we thought, well, what's she going to find for us? We came back to that hotel because we couldn't find anything else just to see if she had gotten something. And she was like, oh, yes. So I got your room in the hotel next door. Uh, I just went ahead and paid for it with my own money. So you guys can just reimburse me. And we were like, I'm sorry, what? Like, what if we didn't come back? Like this hotel wasn't affiliated with her hotel. She had gone over there, gone above and beyond, asked has found that they had one room left, didn't want us to lose it. So she paid for it with her own money. 
And, and like, who does that? Like, that was just, it was such a beautiful story. And that happened to two or three times. The people there were amazing. That's so awesome. It, it really does make you go, people are good. People are good. You just got to find the good. good. I stayed at um, a hotel in Tennessee for a shoot for a week. And the hotel was owned by an Indian family and managed by an Indian family. And they lived there. And um, every day I would kind of chat with them. And one day we were chatting with about food. And I was talking about how I love to cook with, yeah, I love food, uh, love Indian spices. And we were, I was naming some of the spices that I like to cook with. And they thought that was really curious that a blonde white girl knew what garam masala was. And so he, the guy at the desk, he's like, you know what? I'm going to get my mom to cook for you. And yeah. at that time we didn't realize because we hadn't had the food that was being catered, but I wasn't really able to eat the food that the company I was working for was catering because it had a lot of dairy in it and yada, yada. His mom cooked for me every night. I got homemade Indian food every night and they would like sneak it to me. And then I'd like run upstairs and eat. And, and I said, I'm, I have to, what can I do for your mom to like, show a you know kind gesture back and he said oh no hospitality is part of our religion so we you have to accept this and I was like whoa that that's major isn't that beautiful people in India are are lovely and the food there by the way when we were there filming in the Parvati Valley I split a pair of pants like (laughs) No, I don't care. I just, I'm going to no. keep eating. This is delicious. <laughs> the, the best food in the world. You know, knowingly consented to split pants because you're like, the food is so good. Food is so good. Totally wear the pair of pants. Totally fine. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I know we're running short on time, but I don't think we can have this a proper conversation without bringing up your work as a shark ally and your love for the ocean. So spill the beans. Well, Shark Allies is a nonprofit organization that I think is one of the coolest and feistiest nonprofits out there as far as ocean conservation goes, started by Stephanie Brendel. And we've made amazing strides. I mean, she was the first person in 2010 to enact an all-out ban on shark fin sale, trade, and possession in Hawaii, which was the first state in the U.S., and several others followed suit that is happening in Florida right now. So we are now fighting the fin trade in Florida, and that is almost that is almost passed. And for honestly, a scrappy little organization composed entirely of most of women, our board members are all women. We have other allies who, who are men, but it's just it, women who are super passionate about the ocean and conservation and educating people about apex predators and their their impact on ocean health. And it's really it's been a fun ride to be a part of it with these totally badass ladies. That sounds amazing. So you get to, do you ever get to do um, like tagging or anything like that where you're up close with the animals? So I do a lot of shark diving and we'll lead trips out to Isla Guadalupe where the white sharks are. We will do tagging with scientists. So usually as a journalist, I'll often observe that, film it, and then uh, put content out with it. And I also try to include shark stuff in all the shows that I do. So for instance, with Shane and Ramona, when we were in St. Croix, we have friends in common. Uh, we did a piece about going down and and working with the sharks and teaching them how to eat lionfish and invasive species. And that was really interesting. And that was really beautiful to get to incorporate because 
all of us have a passion for ocean. So we got to put that out there. Uh, but we've worked with some of the best scientists in the world, Mauricio Hoyas, Giannis Papamastatu, who's actually out of uh, Florida, Florida International University. And these are the people that I really lean on for the science side of things because that, I'm not the scientist, but I do a lot of, of media stuff with with sharks and try to educate people about why they are they are not everything that is portrayed in movies like Jaws and all the other Hollywood flicks out there. Preach, girl. Preach. <laughs> Pretty cool creatures. I like them. Yeah, me too. I'm a fan. I'm intrigued, but have a healthy dose of respect slash fear. But I feel like, uh, yeah, more to come on that for sure. Well, where can people um, follow you and your many adventures on social media? And where can they find your show, Lost in the Wild? Lost in the Wild is it's on demand. It's on Amazon, Hulu. It's all over. Uh, also the travel channel app it's been airing on travel channel and discovery but you can i think probably the easiest place for people is is amazon hulu and youtube and then all my stuff is just under my name king of phillips on all the different social platforms out there from instagram to facebook to what else is out there i don't do tiktok i don't really understand i don't know yeah i don't understand tiktok tiktok makes you feel old but <laughs> dance so no just so no, yeah <laughs> Well, thank you, lady. I so appreciate talking with you. I'm so glad we met. And I hope that um, listeners will feel inspired to connect even virtually while they're quarantining with as many people as they can and many cultures as they can. So that's a wrap, girl. Great job. Are you still listening? Just kidding. Of course you are. Since you're here, here's some ways you can support the show. Stalk me on social media. Leave a review share an episode with a friend, or check out my Teespring page for delightfully sarcastic apparel. Links are in the episode description. 